They say the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Well, you, you and I, we were meant to be free. And now God invites you to a soul-shaking, chain-breaking, life-giving adventure with your closest friends. We will share our stories of struggle and bravely explore the uncharted places of our soul. We will do this together and promise one another we won't stop until we are free. Liberation awaits. Today, freedom calls out your name. This is the way, the new way to be free. We're glad that you're here with us today on Baby Dedication Day or Child Dedication. Some of them are a little older than babies. Uh, And so we we welcome all of you who are our guests, and uh, we want to thank you for coming to uh, share this special day with us. It's also a special day because we're starting a new series today called Freeway, A Not-So-Perfect Guide to Freedom. If you have any issues in your past that you've ever dealt with, that you ever had trouble dealing with, this series is for you, and especially small groups are for you. And you're going to want to get one of these books. They're at the back. They're $15. If you can't afford one, we've had people who offer to pay the scholarships for folks who can't afford that. Um, Yeah, that's an amen. And so so Freeway, good books, yes, endorsed by the baby over there. And and it's okay. If we have babies crying, don't worry about it. They're praising Jesus. And and what did Jesus say? Let the little children come to me. We're going to talk more about that next week. But but it's okay. So we're just going to, we're going to have a great time today. Now, <clears throat> how many of you here were, were here last week? I'm just curious. Okay. So last week I showed you some, some pictures off of my deer camera and my favorite one was this one. Okay. The deer, something spooked the deer. And I told you I couldn't figure out what. Well, as I progressed through the rest of my deer camera pictures, I discovered exactly what made a deer do that. And here it is. Where'd it go? Are you serious? I did the build-up and it, it just died. Did it freeze? The mystery remains. And uh, we'll, we'll have to pull it, pull it up next week. It was in there. Yeah, he did. He did. But, but it's good. You need to see it. If y'all pull that up later, just wave at me and we'll, we'll do that. Um, I wanted to, to just stop and kind of tell you what's going on uh, with one of our former church members. Actually, they're still a church member because they haven't found a church home yet. Um, Mike Ort called me this week, and Brandy has been in the uh, hospital since September 13th. And uh, it was very, very serious. She was, she was having days where she was totally non-responsive. She was having days where she would open her eyes and she would respond to commands. And, and it's just been a very bad thing. She's 31 years old. She's a diabetic and she's got all kinds of physical problems, major problems because of diabetes. Well, this morning, I was going to share with you that we really need to be in prayer because this is serious, serious uh, stuff. And it still is. But Mike called me this morning, right before we were starting our, our band rehearsal, uh, about 8.30 this morning. And, and I thought, oh no, here comes the call. Well, he said, hey, 
Brandy woke up this morning. Her eyes are open. She's responding to commands. And so she's been on a ventilator since September 13th, and they're going to take her off the ventilator today and wean her off, and we're just praying that it's going to be good stuff that happens because if she doesn't get off the ventilator, then they're going to have to put in a tracheotomy uh, because you can only stay on the tube so long. So before, before I even knew that call was coming, I was going to stop right now in the service and ask you all to pray for Mike and Brandy. But also, I just am curious if there's anybody else who just by, by raised hand sh- say that you need prayer as well. You know somebody or there's something going on in your life where you need serious prayer. You need God to intervene today. Would you, would you raise your hands? Every Sunday, go ahead, keep them up for just a second. Not, I just want you to see how many people walk in our doors every week with stuff that is overwhelming. And the only way I know to deal with stuff is to take it to the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Because if he can raise someone from the dead, if he can take the worst thing that ever happened in history, which was Jesus Christ, an innocent man being nailed to a cross, and if he can turn that into the greatest gift, then he can move in your heart, in your life, and do something that you wouldn't even imagine if he told you ahead of time. So let's just pause for a moment. I'm going to ask you to pray silently. I'm going to give you a few seconds to pray, and then I'll I'll voice a prayer, and then we'll head on with our service. God, you knew the hearts of the people before they walked in here today. You knew who was going to raise their hands. And you are very aware of what's going on in their lives. God, would you do something today to to remind these folks that, that you're alive, that you're real, and that you care? Because God, it's real easy to see our circumstances and wonder where you are. It's real easy to see a 31-year-old lying in, in ICU and wonder, God, what are you doing? What's going on? We don't understand because we can't see everything. And you've told us, God, that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so there's times we just have to trust you. But at the same time, God, you've told us to bring every care and concern to you because you care for us. And so, God, I pray for every person here those who raised their hands, those who didn't. Maybe they've still got something that they just didn't want to make public. God, we need a fresh touch. We need, we need fresh awareness of who you are. And so show us your glory today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My dad, yesterday was one year since my parents and my sister were killed in, in a, a car accident. And I was thinking a lot about my dad and my mom and my sister this week. And uh, my dad was one of the funniest people I've ever known in my life. Now, very few people knew this because dad hated crowds. He thought they were the dumbest thing ever. He would never speak in front of a crowd. He, would never, he thought people were dumb to go anywhere where there was a crowd, you know. And so dad would never speak in front of a crowd. But if you could get him off to the side, one or two people. Janie used to tell our kids to go sit outside the garage and just listen to things my dad said and write them down. And my kids have some, some papa sayings. Some of them we can share in church. Some of them we can't. Um, but my dad was really, really funny. Um, my dad, and, and I want you to think about today things that your dad would never do, because I'm going to share you with, with you some things my dad would never do. My dad would never, ever start getting ready to go anywhere 
until all the rest of the family. So there were five of us, the mom and, and I've got two brothers and a sister when I was a kid and five of us would be ready to walk out the door and dad would go, oh, is it time to go? And he would walk, walk in, take a shower, shave, put on his clothes and, and that's probably not the best thing to promote marital harmony, right? You know, when everybody's getting in the car and my mom was an on-time person and so there was some conflict there and uh, so dad would never start getting ready until, until everybody else was, was out the door. Another thing my dad would never do, he would never ever ask someone to do something that he could do. So like repair cars, he was always in the garage fixing cars. First time I got a job that, that paid any amount of money and I paid somebody to change my oil. My dad chastised me. Boy, you're wasting money. You ought to be changing that oil. Ain't nothing to it. He would never do anything. Never pay anybody to do something. And dad could do anything. In fact, years ago, uh, my oldest niece is now in her in, in her 30s, and she has three children. But when she was six years old, there was, a, there was a grandparents' day. Do they still do grandparents' day at schools? Okay, so there was a grandparents' day. Didn't do that when I was little. I didn't know what it was. So my parents went to um, Colleyville to, to grandparents' day. And my six-year-old niece had to write a, a little story about one of her grandparents. So she chose to write about my dad. And she said, my papa is a fixer. My papa spends all of his time fixing things. This is, this is quote. If it's broken, my papa can fix it. My papa is a fixer. And, and w- what's funny is we shared that with all of the family, and everybody's like, yep, dad could fix anything. He started when he was 12 years old. His, his dad's car wasn't working. His dad said, go fix the car. Dad started fixing stuff then and was fixing things all the way till he was 91 years old, and he passed away a year ago. So he would never do anything like that. Uh, so those are some of the things he would never do. Now, I asked Janie, I said, hey, tell me some things that your dad would never do. And she goes, eat rice. I said, that's it? She goes, about all I can remember, he wouldn't eat rice. So, okay, here's what I want you to do. Real quickly, real quickly, I want you to think of something. One thing your dad would never do, and I want you to turn to someone and just tell them something your dad would never do. This is crowd participation day. You didn't know that. All right, ready, set, go. If you got some good ones, be sure and share those with me later. You never know when that might be in a sermon. Now, the reason I bring this up, and you can continue these conversations later, all right? I knew better than to give you control. The reason I brought this up is today we're going to look at a very familiar story in the New Testament, and it illustrates perfectly several things about God, and we're going to learn some things from this story that a Middle Eastern dad would never do. So the first thing it's going to illustrate is God is not an ordinary dad, all right? If we're fully going to understand this, you've got to understand some things in this culture that a Middle Eastern, a Jewish man, would never, never do in public. And so the first thing is a Middle Eastern dad would never, ever divide up his estate. We're going to talk about the prodigal son today. You know the younger son comes up and says, Dad, give me my share of the, the estate. In that culture, never, ever would a Middle Eastern dad divide up his estate before his deathbed and give it to one of his children ever under any circumstances. Now, we can't fully understand that because in our culture, 
Dads can do whatever they want to with the money, right? Some of them spend it all. Some of them go to Vegas and blow it all. Some of them save pennies and they give things to their kids before they die. We don't have much culture or much tradition about that. But in that day when it came to dads, there was a thousand-year tradition. It had always been done this way, and you could bet it would be done this way in the future. Dads would wait until their deathbed, and then they would call in their sons... And he would start with the oldest son and he would give him a double portion. It's just the way they did things. And then he would divide the rest of the estate with the rest of the sons. That's the way it had always been done. So Jesus begins his story with a rather bold young man coming up to a father and asking him a question a son should never ask his dad. This is Luke 15, 12. By the way, if you have you version, I always tell you this. If you have a smartphone and you've got you version, uh, we always put our notes on there and you can follow along there as well. Luke 15, 12. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the property. Now, dads, how's that going to go over if, if your kid walks up? I'm 50. My son walks up and says, dad, give me my share of the inheritance. What do you think I'm going to do? Somebody's going to have to surgically remove my foot from his backside. Because I'm going to say, but, buddy, you don't, you don't ask me that. Because he could have been saying, hey, dad, I've, I've got all of these plans And it's going to take some money, and I don't have any money, and who knows how long you're going to last. And and I don't know, Dad, you're probably going to be upset when I take all of your heirlooms, your family heirlooms, down to the pawn shop, and I pawn those things to get some cash to finance this great trip that I'm going to take. But, Dad, I just got to go. Please, Dad, please give me my share of the inheritance. What are you going to do, Dad? Sure, son. No, we're not going to do that. Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus told this story? Because this is strange. Why would, he, why would he share a story where a Middle Eastern dad does something that no Middle Eastern dad would do? Well, it's because Jesus was bound and determined to demonstrate in this story that the prodigal's father was not your ordinary dad. And really, this is a story about God the Father in heaven. And he wants to show you that there is no comparison when you talk about God the Father. There's no God like him. He's not an ordinary father. He's not an ordinary God. So Jesus knew what he was doing. Son number two comes and pleads with his dad to do something, to do what no Middle Eastern dad would ever do. And the first major twist comes in the story. Jesus says, so the father divided his inheritance, his property between the two sons. And and I want you to picture Jesus' listeners knowing a thousand years of tradition, intending to, to be a part of thousand more years of tradition, the gasps that happened when Jesus said that would have sucked all of the oxygen right out of the room where they were meeting. So this is the first major plot. They're thinking, Jesus has lost his mind. This dad in the story is crazy. No way. This is unheard of. And imagine as the dad in the story watches his son pack up his belongings, take all of his share of the inheritance, and go off to the big city. I just, I wish I could have seen the faces. Now, I know the Aggies came back and won yesterday, but one of the funniest pictures I ever saw was of the core when they were getting beat. It was like, they were about to vomit. And it made me so happy. (laughs) And then they won, and I vomited. But I kind of, I kind of envision all of the men in the standing there going, no. This cannot be. But what's Jesus doing? Because this is not what a normal dad would do. 
Is he trying to show that God's insane? I, I don't think so. I think he's showing, number two, that God is merciful beyond our wildest imagination. Now, how's this being merciful? If you have children, parents, you know, sometimes there are critical moments in child rearing where your kids are so convinced that they're right, that they have this supernatural mental capacity and you're brain dead beyond all imagination and they know what's best for them and you don't know what's best for them. And at critical times, occasionally, not all the time, occasionally, what does a good parent do? Occasionally, a good parent will allow the child to do that. They'll say, I know this is wrong. I know the road is bumpy. But I'm going to let you learn your own lessons because sometimes you have to learn the hard way. I mean, you can only tell the kid the stove is hot so many times and some of them just have to go touch it. If it's really hot, they just touch it once and you're praying for your kids. We pray for our kids. God, if they're going to do something stupid, protect their lives. Give us the opportunity to help them pick up the pieces. Because sometimes you have to let them learn their own story. So in the story of the prodigal son, it's very important to understand that what God the Father was doing was merciful and it was grace-filled. And if you miss this, you miss the rest of the story. So you've got to understand what the Father is doing here. He's pouring out mercy and grace on his son and he's saying, I know what you're doing is wrong. I know it's going to lead you away from me. But I'm going to let you do it. Now, I want, you to, I want to talk about for just a second... <laughs> Some of our stories. Let's talk about what some of us did in high school that was beyond ignorant. Maybe let's not, yeah. In many cases, what we did was self-destructive. But the really sad thing is it wasn't just self-destructive, it hurt our families as well, right? What about what some of us did in college? Let's not go there. How many, of, how many folks... People even in this room struck out on your own, thumbed your nose at God, headed down the wrong path. Let's talk about, about what some of us did last week or maybe what some of us did last night where we thumbed our noses at God and said, I'm going to do what I want to do because I know what's best. When we tell him we're going to go our own selfish way, when we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and we step, tell God, just step aside, get away from me, God, because I know what I'm doing. And God says, okay, son, daughter, because I love you, I'm going to let you step out. But here's, here's what you need to know. The road's going to be hard. And you're stepping out from underneath the umbrella of my authority and the umbrella of my protection. And so, go ahead. But know this. God says, you can always come home. I'm going to let you go, but you can come back. If you have to go to a faraway place to figure out who you are, I'm going to let you go. But I'll be here when you get back. How many of you have been to a faraway place? Some of you are there right now. Some of you have thought recently, recently you've had thoughts, God's done this ahead of this message. Some of you have thought, maybe, maybe I need to come home. Maybe it's time because I've messed up. Maybe today's your day. Verse 13 says, Then the younger son gathered up all, his, all that was his, and he traveled to a far, far away to another country. 
There he wasted his money in foolish living. The son runs out of money not because of bad investments. What does the scripture say? Because of what? Say it again. Because of what? Does that sound like fun? He, he was broke because of what? Foolish living. He threw it all down the toilet. He has nothing to show for it. Verse 14. After he'd spent everything, a time came when there was no food anywhere in the country and the sun was poor and hungry. When it rains, it pours. A famine hits the land. Not only is he out of money, he's out of everything. He's out of options. And for the first time in his life, this young man hits a reality check. There's no rich daddy to come bail him out at this point. He is on his own. And he has to face the truth about his life and his future. Verse 15. So he got a a job with one of the citizens there who sent the son into the fields to feed pigs. The son was so hungry that he wanted to eat the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. His life literally stinks. Now, how many of y'all have been uh, catfishing? Catfishing stinks. We, we went to the lake. We went with the Gillises for a couple of days, and we were out there catfishing. And there's, there's, we did two different things. We did the catfish Charlie. How many of y'all know what catfish Charlie is? Okay, you get a treble hook, and you, it's his dough, and it smells horrible. To me, okay, this is me. It smells like chewing tobacco that's gone bad. All right? Yeah, if you can imagine that. So you put, take it out, and you put it, a, a little ball on your treble hook. You drop it in, and, and the catfish eat that junk. And then we eat them. So I don't know what that says about us, but something's messed up. So you do that. Now, we had some dip bait, too, so my girls didn't have to stick their fingers in it. Now, I was thinking, how hungry would you have to be for dip bait to look good? Because, man, you put that on my plate, I'm going to hurl on your feet. (laughs) Right? I mean, how bad do you have to be? To where catfish bait looks good. That's where this guy was. So he thinks to himself, if I could only have a do-over, and golf call it a mulligan, if I could only have a mulligan, if I could only do it over again, and then he thinks, well, maybe, maybe I could go back to my dad. And he's not going to take me as a son, but maybe he'll let me work with one of his servants, and I can live in the bunkhouse until I get back on my feet. But you know, what's your dad going to think? Because when you thought you were right and you realized you were wrong, what's the last thing you want to do? Go home and say, Dad, I need your help. You were right. You you know, those words are just so hard. They taste like catfish bait, right? You were right and I was wrong. (laughs) But he said, I'm just going to, I've got a plan. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned. Would you please take me back? Verse 20. So the son left the field, went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for his son. So the father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. Now, as he's approaching home, he sees a second thing that a Middle Eastern dad would never do. Do you catch it? Run in public. Middle Eastern men didn't do such things. Um, he's running full speed toward him. Now, we don't understand this because we'll, we'll strap on tennis shoes and we'll jog and we'll, we'll go get on the, the elliptical or on the treadmill or whatever. We don't understand this in our culture. But running in that culture was beneath a wealthy, dignified Middle Eastern patriarch. If something needed hurried attention, they had servants. Servant, you go run. Or children, it was okay for children to run. But Middle Eastern men wore robes, long robes. They had jewelry on. They had long hair, I'm assuming. I could not have 
fit the bill. Because can you imagine the picture of this Middle Eastern man hiking up his robe, running full speed, wind blowing through the bristles, if it's me, but wind blowing through his hair, his necklace is dangling, and he's running, and he doesn't care who sees. That just doesn't happen in that culture. But Jesus is painting a picture of a dad who would do anything for his son. His listeners are well aware of the, the cultural stuff. They know that, that no ordinary dad would run. And his listeners are gasping again until they understand what Jesus is trying to teach. And that's that the Father in heaven, the God of the universe, is not an ordinary God. His heart is so totally wrapped around the heart of his children, even his most wayward children, that when they're tired of living far from God and they're ready to come home, not only is God watching for the slightest movement on the horizon, God is ready to sprint a hundred yards because there's a hug so important that it warrants a hundred yard dash and he doesn't care who's watching. He doesn't care which neighbors are looking out point and saying, can you believe he's doing that? His son is coming home. He doesn't care who's laughing. He doesn't care who's pointing. That's a pretty impressive God. By the way, this is the point where parents, if your kids are back there, you need to go get your kids. We're almost finished with the service for the dedication. <clears throat> what does this story say about the heart of our God? Anybody in this room need mercy today? Anybody need grace? The kid in the story had gone to feeding pigs. Now, none of you have fallen that far, but some of you are getting a little tired of feeding whatever it is that you're feeding. Some of you have been feeding your ego your whole life. You've just been going up to that trough and you're just feeding your ego. How many more conquests do you have to have to prove that you're a man? How many more positions do you have to go through? How much money do you have to make? Some of you are feeding greed. You're just, you're just working your way up the ladder and it's costing your family. You're just feeding at that trough. Some of you are feeding lust and lust of all kinds. And lust promises that it's going to deliver and you're just feeding and you're feeding. And every time you get gorged on lust, you want to spit it out because lust always overpromises and underdelivers. Always. And you're tired of feeding that. Some of you are just feeding stuff that doesn't fa- satisfy your soul. And here's the point. You need, you need to come at some point in your life. You need to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm done thumbing my nose at God. And I want to do something different. Some of us are almost there. Some of you thought about coming back. You're to that point where you're just tired of doing what you've been doing. And you want to come back. And you're just not sure what you're going to get. You're not sure if you're going to be shamed or embraced. And so you're kind of scared. Well, this story's for you. Jesus wants you to know exactly what you can expect from a loving Heavenly Father. So he's told you in advance what God is going to do. He's hoping that you'll turn from whatever it is you're feeding and you'll run back to the Father. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that Middle Eastern dad running to embrace you. Now, let me close by, by sharing with you one more observation. This was, in a, this was a story written in Christianity Day years ago. A guy named Ken Bailey wrote an article about the prodigal son. And he said that there was a well-known ceremony that they would conduct back in that day. Um, if, if a son lost a significant amount of his inheritance from his father. So if a father died and left a bunch of stuff to his son and the son made some foolish business investments or he gambled away, whatever it is, he wastes his father's inheritance. Um, the whole village, when they found out about it, they would go get vases or clay pots. They would fill them with rocks 
and they would walk out to wherever he lived and they would stand in front of his house. They would call the son out in front and one by one they would take the vases and they would throw them down and smash them to bits. And when they got to the last person, they would all turn their backs on him because what they were saying was, you broke you broke your father's heart and you broke his inheritance. You broke fellowship with what he wanted, his, his lifetime work of providing for you. You broke all of that stuff, so we're breaking these symbolically. And you, you broke um, the rest of the family, the future that you're supposed to provide for, with that inheritance. And in a way, you even broke fellowship with the community because you didn't do what we've always done. And then when they finished, they would turn their backs on him and never speak to him again. Ever. And in that culture, this was a fate worse than death. To live shunned because of some choices, bad choices that you made. And, and the story, um, Ken Bailey says, that, that the threat of this shunning deal kept many a son from doing stupid things with his father's inheritance. So, okay, back to the story. The son returns to the father. Father takes him in, braces him, they start to walk back to the house. And right here, Jesus puts the final twist in the story. Because his listeners, listeners are thinking, well, maybe the father brought him back, yeah. But the, but the village, the, the community, they're going to give him what he deserves. They're going to do the shunning deal and they're going to make him pay for this. Everybody's going to come out of their homes with these vases and they're going to smash them on the ground. And this foolish boy is going to learn his lesson. But you all know how the story ends, Right? The dad in the story does one more incredible thing that a Middle Eastern dad would never, ever do. He throws a party when his wayward son comes home. Father sends out word and he goes, no shunning deal for my son. You put your vases away. I know what he did was foolish. I know he broke trust with me. I know he blew all the money. But here's the key. The dad says, I'm not dead. I'm still alive and I'll make things right between us. In fact, I already have. You don't need to punish him for embarrassing me because some of you need to hear this. The father in the story says, my son is not an embarrassment to me. And some of you need to hear that you are not an embarrassment to God the Father. I don't care what my kids do. I'm always going to love them. And I'm always going to pour out mercy and grace upon them. I don't care if you do or not. And I don't care what you say about me. Because I'm trying to get my cues from the perfect father. Yes, I discipline. But there's a time for mercy and grace as well. And some of you need to hear. No matter how far away you are. God is not embarrassed to call you his child. But you need to come home. It's time to quit feeding whatever it is you're feeding. Look at verse 22. The father said to his servants, Hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Also put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get out the fat calf and kill it so we can have a feast and celebrate. My son was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. So they began to celebrate. So the, the father says to the village folks, I started to say village people, no. Father says to the villagers, Come on, let's throw a party. Instead of shunning my son, we're going to celebrate. Instead of breaking vases, we're going to drink wine. We're going to eat the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. We won't cut off fellowship with my son. 
Instead, we'll celebrate reconciliation. My son was dead. Now he's alive. My son was lost. Now he's found. We're going to have a party. And in ending a story like this, Jesus' listeners go, we don't know any dad like that. And that was Jesus' point. It was designed to leave everybody shaking their heads going, this is no ordinary dad. And he's the most extraordinary dad that that a human mind can imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm motivated to worship a, a dad like that, a God like that. And some of you, hopefully it will make you want to come home today. Jesus just illustrated that you can't even clean yourself up enough to be acceptable to God. But you don't have to. You take the step and God will come reading, running to meet you and he will clean you up and he will make you presentable. Jesus will make you presentable to God the Father, but he'll also make you presentable to the world. And that's what he does. He wants to clean people up and he wants to demonstrate his power to change your life so that people outside these walls go, there must be a God. Because I knew Bradley Grutzner. I knew where he came from. And God had mercy on him. People look at George Stanley and they say, I know George Stanley. He's not the same anymore. People got to have a long memory, but people look at Jeff and go, I knew Jeff Gillis back in the day. And Jeff was a messed up man. But God had mercy and grace. We got two mics on the front row. They'll tell you their story. God took people who were messed up and he made them right with himself. And he gives them a mission to reconcile others to God. Now I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Now some of you haven't blown your last dollar, wrecked all of your relationships. You're not feeding pigs yet. But some of you know you hadn't been on the right path for a long time. And if you don't change directions, you're headed for destruction. Before you cross that line, before you do something that changes everything, before you blow your life apart, why not come home today? Leave the distant place and come home. Look in the distance, see the father in full stride saying, Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Through what Jesus did on the Christ, all can be forgiven. So if some of you are ready to come home right now, I want you to pray this prayer. God, that's what I want for my life. I want to come home. Forgive me for turning my back on you. Others of you have already crossed the line and you've done some really bad, destructive stuff. And you have consequences for your bad choices that are all around you. Financial, sexual, relational bad decisions have devastated you and your family. And your house of cards, it's already collapsed and you're facing consequences. What are you going to do? Are you going to make more bad decisions, more cover-ups, more consequences? How many more lives are going to be ruined because of your selfishness? For your sake and the sake of everyone around you, why don't you come home today? Consider doing what the prodigal son says. I'm not going to feed from this trough anymore. I'm going to come home. I'm going to turn around, humble myself, and head for home. Anybody want to do that today? Anybody want to head home? Just kind of raise your hand. If you are tired of doing what you're doing, you want to head home. Then I want you to pray this prayer. Silently as I pray it out loud. God, I have a wandering heart, and I know I've wandered away. I'm sorry, and I need forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, I ask for that now. In the middle, the middle of the mess I'm in now, 
I invite Jesus Christ to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. God, with your help, I will follow Jesus from here on out into a new kind of life and a new kind of future. And if you meant those words just kind of to seal that before God, I want you to say, God, I meant it. Those words are from my heart. The Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever means any person in any mess, no matter how far you are from God, call on him and you'll be saved. Father, we pray that you do some incredible things for your kingdom today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have you go ahead and fill out your registration cards and talk about our baskets before we bring the babies up and dedicate them. Because once they come up, man, they just steal the show, right? It's one of my favorite things to do. So if, if you prayed one of those prayers today, I want you to say, I came home. Or I asked God to forgive my wandering heart. Something like that, write that on the back of your card. If you're interested in small groups, small groups will be meeting in homes tonight, and this is a great time to get involved because we're just starting our freeway study. You'll get a book, and you're going to walk through some things that you can be healed from your past. So fill out your registration cards, and we have three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. Um, That's how we give offerings here. Actually, about two-thirds of you now are giving online, or actually two-thirds of our monthly budget comes from online giving. That is just awesome right? So if you go online, nlccp.com, there's a little thing you can sign up and you can give online or you can give back there. If you're one of those, those folks like my dad, my dad would never have given online. He doesn't know where that stuff goes. You know, you, you don't know what you're typing in that thing. But if you want to, if you want to get back there, you can. Second thing is our registration card basket. Put your prayer concerns on the back. We always ask you to write something on the back. If, if you're struggling with something, if you have a prayer concern, write that on there. If God has answered a prayer, write that on there as well. Then our third basket is our bagel basket. We're having the Building a Great Life auction, October 18th. We've got some unbelievable stuff that's been donated. Um, There's a trip to Branson, a week at Branson that's been donated. We'll auction off. There is an Axis deer hunt out by Uvalde that's uh, going to go up for auction. There is a full day of bass fishing at Lake Athens. There's a day of cat fishing. Is that at Richland Chambers? Richland Chambers catfishing. There's all kinds of cool stuff that's going to happen on October 18th. We'll have lunch out here. We'll have a silent auction, we'll have a garage sale, we'll have a bake sale, and then we'll come in here, have an auctioneer, and um, he, will, he will auction off the big stuff. We got a, we got a huge, um, we got a deer feeder coming, we got a deer stand coming. By next week, we'll have a list where we can hand out everything that's going to be, um, everything that at least will be auctioned off here. We're not going to tell you everything that's back in the back. You just have to come and see for yourself. Uh, if you're interested in helping with that, I'm going to ask you to stay after church for just a couple of minutes today, and let me tell you where we need help. And then our leadership is going to be back here. The auction leaders and team members are going to be back there having lunch as soon as we finish. All right, let's get some babies up here. Where are they? We're going to bring them down here. I think Janie's got y'all in order. Or she's going to put you in order. Who's first? DeLeon, y'all come on down here. Jaime and Kelsey, bring Josiah down here. We're going to have to mess around the sub. Somebody can sit on the sub. Who's next? You going to get them lined up? All right. What we do, baby dedication, is where parents stand before you, the church, and they say, we are so serious about this precious life. We believe God gave us a gift, and we believe that we're going to do everything we can to raise this child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That just means we're going to teach them about God. We're going to pray that they step into the kingdom of God as soon as possible and that they do amazing things. Y'all come on down a little bit. That they do amazing things in their lives because of God. 
Now, this doesn't mean that they're already Christians. They have to come to Christ on their own. But the parents are asking you as a church, and this is what we're doing as a church. We're saying that we will pray for, teach, do anything we can to help these kids come to Christ. That's what baby dedication is today. So first, this is Jaime and Kelsey. This is Josiah Abram Delion, and Josiah means fire of the Lord. That's a great biblical name. There's a King Josiah in the Old Testament. The life verse that we chose for him is, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Next, this is Bryant and Sherry Gossett, and this is Lucas Vaughn Gossett. Lucas means light giving. His verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. There's the Bible. All right, next we have Michael and Stephanie Phillips, and this is Paisley Catherine Phillips. Paisley means dependable, clever, clear-sighted. Don't have to watch out that cleverness. Uh, Her verse is Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at that. Michael and Tricia Thatcher, and this is Brazos Allen, A-L-A-N. That's my middle name, so I have to get that out there. But then the next one is Kamakawahini. Kamakawahini. I tried, I practiced that, but I couldn't. Um, That's the Hawaiian name. Um, If you ever see their names on Facebook, they all have a Hawaiian name as well, right? That's a given name. Brazos Thatcher. Brazos means bold and independent. His verse is 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And we worship the Lord there. There's the Bible. This is Wes and Kylie Thomas, and this is Giselle. Hey, pretty girl. Those beautiful blue eyes. Giselle Jolyn Thomas. Giselle means a pledge. Her verse is Psalm 84, 5. Happy are those who are strong in the Lord, who want above all else to follow God's steps. Hey, singing a solo? This is Chris Cargill and Julia Torres. This is Sebastian Alexander Cargill. Does he, what does he go by? Sebastian, okay. Sebastian means majestic, giving, and courageous. And Sebastian's verse is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. You're doing it right now, aren't you? You need something. And don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your heart quiet. (laughs) And at rest. I didn't put that in there. And at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Hey, sweet boy. You're awesome. What we want to do now is we just want to pray. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, to, to pray along with me. And if you as a church will do everything you can to help these children come to know Christ, but that's not the end. When, when somebody comes to Christ, that's a comma. And then the rest of their life, they're supposed to grow and, and become more and more like him. So we're going to pray that these kids come to Christ at a young age and that they follow him with all their heart. I've been praying for my kids since before they were born. 
that God would capture their heart. And, and I don't care what my kids do as long as they love Jesus. And that's what I'm going to pray for them. Would you pray that with me? And then we'll be dismissed. God, I love the stories of Jesus taking kids and blessing them and saying, let the kids come to me. And God, we just see a little bit of your heart as he would reach out and touch children and bless them. And God, we thank you for strong voices and we pray that someday they're, they're telling people about you. Father, I pray for all of these parents. Thank you for their willingness to stand up in front of you, in front of the church, and say, we want to raise our kids to follow Jesus Christ. So I pray that each of them comes to you at a young age and that they do mighty things for God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody else said? Amen. Amen. Let's be dismissed.